This is a personal and private recording by an ex-member of the U.S. Air Force. Codename, Darkwater. Case File 1, designated Stonefall. Log 2. When I broke from the path that led me down into Stonefall, the one that the sheriff had driven me down two weeks ago, I had expected there to be someone waiting for me. Someone keeping lookout, watching for my return. If the town had broken into the house and had failed to get hold of me there, surely they knew it would only be a matter of time until I returned. But there was no one. Just the same stillness as before. The adrenaline was still pumping around my body, but the walk from the house and the odd stillness of my surroundings had changed it. Instead of running around, instead of the frantic way I had searched the house, I could feel the energy fizzing inside me, my heart thumping. My senses felt alert, ready for the slightest movement, the slightest sound. As I went past the town square, I saw the first sign of life, a bird perched on the branch of a tree. That was something. I walked past the sheriff's station, but could see no one through its windows. I would come back here later. Right now, my body was taking me somewhere else. I don't think I'd made the conscious decision to go to the town hall first, but that had been my last resolution before everything else had happened. Maybe it felt like the right place to start. Although, with no one actually around, Surely I couldn't expect to find anyone still inside. Had they all cleared out overnight? The door was locked. A heavy chain sat around its handles. I pulled at the chain, tried to break it or slip it away from its place, but it wouldn't budge. I peered through the darkened windows. And then I realized that they weren't just dark. They were covered with layers of newspapers or some kind of material... They were desperate to keep whatever was in there a secret. Instinctively, I looked around for something heavy to grab, thinking that maybe I should just smash one of them to get in. And then I heard a small, quiet voice. Excuse me. I knew it immediately. I turned to see Louise Finch, shuffling her way towards me, seemingly coming from nowhere. I didn't know what to say, how to explain what I was doing. It felt like guilt was written all over my face. And despite my fury at everything that was happening, I couldn't bring myself to be furious at her. I stepped away from the doors. I asked her where everyone was. Well, they've all gone home. They're not still going to be in there, are they? She looked at me strangely and told me that it was just gone nine o'clock. It was a little later than I'd figured it must be. I wasn't entirely sure why that was important, but I was feeling so disoriented that anything to latch onto was welcome. I expect the sheriff is at home, dear, but you could try the station if you wanted, she told me. I thought you must have left. I tried to talk, but my voice was dry. I cleared it and asked her why she thought that. Well, you found her, didn't you? She's safe now. What about Johnny? I asked her. 
and the look she gave me sent a chill through my body. There was barely any reaction at all, just a blankness, and her brow creased a little like she was confused. And she smiled at me like there was nothing wrong in the world, and turned back the way she had presumably come. I did what Louise had suggested and went to the station next. I knocked on the door, and after a while of waiting, a young deputy opened it and looked out at me. He looked for a moment as if he didn't recognize me, and then there was a look of annoyance on his face, and I realized that things must have clicked for him. The sheriff had, apparently, expected me at the town hall meeting the previous night, and had wondered where I was when it had finished. He had gone home to his wife and kids and might pop in later, but Sundays were quiet, the deputy said, so maybe he wouldn't. But what about Johnny? I said, furious. The expression Louise Finch had pulled was still clear in my mind. But the deputy didn't look blank or confused, just annoyed. If you're going to go, pop in and see him first, the deputy said before closing the door on me. I called him a bastard, hoped he heard, and walked away from the station. There was one more place I wanted to go first. I had thought, the first time I'd visited Grace and Peter Lewis's house, when they were distraught at their children's disappearance, that it showed little signs of the distress they were both feeling. Now, it seemed even more homely than before. New flowers had been planted just outside the door, and there was a vase with some fresh daisies in it on the windowsill. The windows were gleaming, like they'd just been at the end of a vigorous spring clean. The weather was bitterly cold. It was the middle of January, after all. But the house seemed to have been plucked right out of spring. I knocked on the door, and a moment later, Grace Lewis, in a patterned dress and an apron, appeared. She looked as fresh as the rest of her house. It did not look like her husband was dead, and her son still missing. I apologized for the interruption, and reminded her of who I was. Initially, she seemed very pleased to see me, like she was greeting an old friend. The last time I had seen her, she was clutching her returned daughter in her arms. I'd never spoken to her about her husband's death, or about the fact he had scratched the name Martha into a tree just before it. But something about the way Grace Lewis looked told me that she may not have remembered that anyway. Something had happened here while I was gone. I asked her how Martha was doing, and she said she was doing very well, thank you, just resting after the excitement of last night. Everyone was so pleased to see her, Grace said. They'd all lined up and wanted a photo with her. Grace had felt like a celebrity, she told me, like she was one of the Kennedys. They'd got a front row seat at the gathering, and that had never happened before. Who led the meeting? I asked. Then Grace's demeanor changed. She was suddenly reluctant to chat, her mouth pursed, and she looked at me a little deeper. If you weren't there, I really don't think I should say. I suggested that maybe I could see Martha, 
have a quick conversation, just to check in on her. I don't think so. The sheriff will be over later. I'm very grateful you helped look for my daughter, miss, but I don't think she needs to see you again. Then I asked the questions that I already knew the answer to. I asked her about Johnny. And she got angry. She told me that she had nothing more to say and went to close the door. I put the palm of my hand against it, my foot in the gap. I'm asking you about your son. She tried to push the door shut again. I'm asking you about Johnny. And then I heard the quietest voice from behind Grace. Martha's voice. The words she said made my blood run cold. Who's Johnny? My hand slackened from the door and my foot slipped a little from the gap. Grace made the most of the opportunity, slamming the door with her all force and closing it on me. I found myself banging at the door again, pissed at myself for getting distracted, for letting them get the better of me. But who's Johnny? Didn't she know any more? That must have been part of the conditioning that Elias Brazel had spoken about. That must have been what they'd taken her to the town hall to do. I'd like you to stop that, please, the man said behind me. I stopped hitting the door. I now felt the overwhelming urge to hit this man instead. Because standing at the bottom of the path to the Lewis house was the sheriff. Stonefall was created and written by James Mortimer. It is read and co-developed by Rebecca Maluish. Music by Kevin McLeod at incompetechfilmmusic.io. Licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the description for a full list of tracks used. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Stonefall Drama. Episodes released on the 1st and 15th of every month.